0: I, uh, I, I feel compelled to j- just read this really quickly um, from, from Romans chapter 10. It's not where we're going to be, but um, Mark, as you were saying um, in that song, you know, every, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, the apostle Paul penned these words some 2,000 years ago. It's Romans chapter 10. He says, how then will they call on him In whom they've not believed. And how are they to believe in him. Of whom they have not heard. And how are they to hear. Without someone preaching. And how are they to preach. Unless they are sent. As it is written. How beautiful are the feet. Of those who preach. The good news. If we in this room. Are not the next generation. Of student pastors, preachers, missionaries, who will go? I I think that maybe today, it's not my message, but it might be that the Lord today calls you out from where you are. As we're going to see, he did that with, with Saul, just set him on a new trajectory. And maybe that's your life today. I would just ask that you would just be open to what, God has to say to you. A um, couple of housekeeping things. As Kyle mentioned, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And a um, couple of housekeeping things, and, and I know this maybe flies in the face of a lot of things that you've heard and thought and, and just thought you knew for years and years and years, but there's just something that we just need to get straight. And this, is, this might blow your hat in the creek. I got that phrase from Mark Garner, blow your hat in the creek. Um, but uh, Jesus didn't change Saul's name from Saul to Paul. <gasps> I know. Just let that sit for a second. Saul and Paul are the same name, just different languages. Saulus is his Hebrew name. And that's what he was known by as he was in and around Jerusalem. And his name was, he wasn't started being called Paulus or Paul until he left from Jerusalem and started just kind of reverberating out in his missionary journeys to Greeks and Gentiles. That was his Greek name, Paul, Hebrew name, Saul. There was no actual name change. For instance, um, my wife and I, many, most, maybe all of you know that we adopted four kids from Ethiopia. Their names are Solomon, Rahel, Yosef, and Yasu. That's their birth names. We didn't change their names. Solomon translates kind of easily. Solomon is Solomon in Amharic, that's their language, and English. Rahel would be Rachel. Yosef, that's pretty easy, Joseph. Iasu, a little different. Of course, he's a little different. Um, (laughs) Love you, buddy. Iyasu would be Joshua. And if you see it written, you kind of see like, oh, like the UA, like I get the Joshua, Iosu. Um, So it is with Saul and Paul. He didn't become Paul. He was Paul. So in this message, the passage that we're reading refers to him as Saul. I'm going to seek to say Saul every time. I noticed uh, in the first service this morning, I, I have Paul in one part. So if I say Paul, I, I don't want anybody to get confused. We're talking about the same person, Saul slash Paul. Okay. And here's, here's, you say, why do you say that? Why does it matter? Um, and I think it matters because anytime that we teach a truth, I'm doing truth with quote fingers, anytime we teach a truth because it's convenient or it's catchy or it's memorable or it'll preach, I mean, Saul conversion to Paul, that'll preach. But anytime we teach a truth like that, that's not a truth, it's not helpful, so we just need to know what the word says. And I know many, if not most of you, have always heard it that way. I didn't know this until several years ago. I read something and I was like, this can't be. <laughs> you know, and I started researching it for myself. And so it's, it's for several chapters. The Lord Jesus and others refer to him as Saul. And then when he goes outward from Jerusalem, he starts becoming Paul. Um, or starts being called Paul. The other thing that I'll say, just kind of housekeeping, is this same conversion story is told two other times in the book of Acts, once in chapter 22 and once in chapter 26. And if you read all three of them, there are minor discrepancies. The story's still there. The story is, and and, uh, spoiler alert, okay, I'm just going to tell you the story. The story is Saul's on his road to Damascus to persecute some Christians and arrest them and bring them to prison. And he, he gets hit by this kind of blinding light and he meets the Lord Jesus in the flesh, meets him And he's set on a different trajectory. That's the same message is told all three times. But there's little small things that are different. And some people say, well, that makes it kind of untrue. That makes it kind of like, you know, suspect. Like maybe that's not real. And I would argue that it actually lends credence that there are slight variations. Because in this first story, you have... It happening, and so Luke is recording it, Luke wrote Acts, so Luke is recording it, and then the, the second and third you have uh, the second one you have um, Paul, and he's, he's speaking to uh, the people in the temple. and then the third time you have him speaking before Agrippa, I think you can check me on that but he's speaking to different people, and so different parts of the story just kind of are highlighted. It's not that they're changed or that they're false. And, and you might look at it like this. if you have kids. And you, you, maybe something goes wrong at the house and you ask one of them, so, so tell me what happened. And they say this story and then you say, okay, uh, different room. You go to the other kid and you say, okay, tell me what happened. If it is the exact same story, word for word, parents, <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? If it's the same story, word for word, it's like, and then at 10:13, we, and you're like, mm, you know, so it actually lends credence that it's a little varied. Okay. So don't, don't get hung up on that. Okay. Now, let's jump in. Sermon in a sentence. If, if, you, if you haven't been with us before, I typically, 99% of the time, I give you a sermon in a sentence. I jokingly say, in case you fall asleep, you'll have something to talk about at lunch. Um, sermon in a sentence is this. <clears throat> it's not going be on the screen. I'm just going to tell you. You don't encounter this Jesus and walk away unchanged. You don't encounter the true Jesus of the Bible and walk away unchanged. You can't. You just don't. We're going to see that. I'm going to say that over and over. Now, here's the deal. I don't want us to simply read the story. I'm going to do my best. You're going to hear me say, imagine what it must have been like. Imagine. I want you to try to put yourself into the scene. I want you to feel it and see it, okay? Um, so, as we look through this, let's attempt to just kind of unfold it and, and, and really involve ourselves in it so deeply into Paul's mind that we realize this actually isn't even maybe a conversion story as much as it is just to surrender. Paul just... Saul just kind of gave himself up finally to the Lord. The first time we see Saul, you don't have to go there, but if you are in your Bible, you can flip back a page or two. It's in the end of chapter seven. It's the stoning of Stephen. And it says that the the men laid their garments. They laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And he oversaw the stoning of Stephen. Saul was there. And then like the third verse of chapter eight, you get Saul continued ravaging the church. Going from house to house, just dragging people out, dragging them to prison. So that's our first introduction to Saul. And now we get to chapter 9, and this is where he becomes a big player in the story of Acts. Okay. He's ravaging the church, but in fact, it, it propels the gospel forward. It moves the gospel forward and outward from the center that was Jerusalem. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Here, I think it unfolds in three acts. The first one I'm calling, Confronted by the Lord. Saul is confronted by the Lord. Let's, let's look. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen. You can follow along. Just verses 1 and 2. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, stop for a second. Saul is a really bad religious dude. He's really religious. And he's really bad. And he has some really strong religious connections. Now I'm emphasizing this word religion because he was religious. And he had some really, really strong connections. Damascus was about, is, turns out Damascus is still there. They keep it still about 140 miles from Jerusalem, was. Okay, 140 miles from Jerusalem is Damascus. On foot, that's about a week. How bad did he want to arrest Christians to walk a week? So he leaves Jerusalem with letters in hand, arrest warrants, if you will, to pull out anyone that is associated with the way. That's what it says right there in in verse 2. It says, if he found any belonging to the way. That refers to those who followed Jesus. Jesus himself said of himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the way. So, early on, it was just known as like, these are followers of the way. That's just what they were known as. And so he's going there to find anyone who's following Jesus, who's following the way, and he's going to drag them to prison. But he's confronted by the Lord. Read three, three through five with me. It's on the screen. Here we go. Now, as he went on his way, watch that. A little play on words, maybe. He was going on his way, and he was encountered by the way. Uh, He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Lord there just means sir. He's not acknowledging Jesus' lordship. He's literally asking, sir, who are you? And he said, the voice said, Jesus said, he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You don't encounter this Jesus and walk away unchanged. Jesus showed up, had a little gospel conversation with Saul. About to have a little gospel conversation here. Now, I want you to put yourself in the story. I want you to think about Saul's walking and the way from Jerusalem to Damascus would likely take him through Galilee. Galilee. Now, he's just witnessed, not too long ago, the stoning of Stephen. And he heard what Stephen said. As a matter of fact, Stephen proved to know the Old Testament and unlock the keys of the Old Testament maybe better than Saul realized or, or, or that Saul could even do. Saul was a smart, smart dude. But he's walking on his way and he's thinking, I'm a strict Pharisee. I was taught by Gamaliel, a renowned rabbi. I understand what's going on. I know what the Old Testament says. He's passing through Galilee and he's, his mind is swimming with thoughts of this Jesus. And he's going, I know that Messiah's rule, Messiah's reign, Saviors conquer, they win, they don't lose. This Jesus to be hung on a cross, I know that the law says that anyone who hangs on the tree is cursed by God. Not only is it stupid that this Jesus could possibly be the long-awaited Messiah, not only is it stupid, it borders on blasphemy. He's thinking there's no possible way. And what he's realizing is there could be a political uprising. The gathering is starting to grow. It's growing in numbers. It's spreading out. This could be dangerous and it must be stopped. Saul to the rescue. We need someone of courage when he's someone of conviction. So, what he thinks he's doing is the right thing. And he's going along and he's thinking these things. And in the back of his mind is the way Stephen died and the stories of Jesus and the stories of the resurrection. He can't get it out of his mind. And all of a sudden, <laughs> blinding light, that was weak. Okay, there we go. <laughs> blinding light, saw, saw, twice for emphasis. Why are you persecuting me? Your life of unbelief and rebellion is an affront to me. Why are you persecuting me, Jesus says? By persecuting the Christians, you're persecuting Jesus. You're you're persecuting my body, my people, my children. Why are you persecuting me, Jesus says? That's why I think that this is much more of a surrender than it is a conversion. I think Paul's, Saul's whole life was a long, long trail to Jesus. I, th- I think he knew the Old Testament. He read the Old Testament. He understood the Old Testament. He saw things happening and he just had not put it all together just yet. The Lord had not quite let him see just yet. He was blind. He couldn't see all of the things that were leading up to this. And now all of a sudden he meets not, only, not, the, not the earthly human Jesus, Not even the resurrected Jesus. This is Jesus has ascended and has come back to earth for a special task. This is the Jesus that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 17, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the the same disciple that loved him and and sat next to him and walked with him and saw him perform miracles and he he saw him die and he saw him rise again. The same Jesus John saw in Revelation chapter 1. He fell on the ground as though dead. This is that blinding light. This is the Christ that we worship today, seated on high at the right hand of God, enthroned forevermore. This Jesus came back and confronted Saul in his sin. Saul has to be thinking, Stephen was a bad man. How does a bad man die such a glorious death? This can't be. And his anger swelled and swelled and swelled and he did what we all do when we know that we're right but we keep getting proven wrong. He just doubled down. It became white-hot rage. And he was confronted by the Lord. The Lord essentially said, your life is an offense. It's an affront to my holiness. And he stopped him in his tracks. He confronted him in his sin. Pause right there. Remember that I said confronted him in his sin. I don't like offending people. It doesn't come easy for me. Some of you, I'm just playing. (laughs) I don't like offending people. But this is the word of the Lord. And just as Saul's life was offensive to God because he was entangled in sin, so it is with us. Your life, if you've not trusted Jesus for salvation, is an offense to God. You must repent and turn from your sin. You're going to have an opportunity to do that toward the end of this message. I just want you to, just want to put that seed out there. I want you to think about, have you been confronted by the Lord? Paul had been set apart for God since before he was born. He says so in Galatians. And so all of his life was this one long offense against God, one long rejection in the same direction. And it was a mockery. He made a mockery of Jesus and his people, the Jesus who loved him, the Jesus who created him. The Jesus who has a plan for his life. And so it is with yours. Jesus has a plan for your life. And he confronts you today. Your life is going one way as Saul's was going one way. And he stops you in your tracks. And he says, I have a different plan for you. I have a different path for you to follow. Turn from your sin. Saul was made for a purpose. And so he commissioned him to do something different. Saul was being commissioned by the Lord to do something different. Verses six through nine. Jesus says, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Jesus speaks to Saul, not as if he might not go along with it. Jesus doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, Do you think maybe you could do this other thing? No, he speaks to him like he's going to go along with it, because he will. Jesus commands us, as he commands Saul, what it is he wants with our lives. Saul thought he was going to just sweep into Damascus with this avenging fury, and instead... Don't miss this. He was led by the hand like a helpless child. Can you imagine what that must have been like? To, to, to be walking in boldly, triumphantly, knowing I've got the papers in hand. I'm taking all those who claimed the way. I'm taking them back to Jerusalem. They're going to be bound. I'm going to drag them back. They're going to be put in prison. They're going to be put on trial. Some of them might be beaten. Some might be executed. And all of a sudden... He has to take the hand of his companions and walk into Damascus, a stumbling, helpless mess. He was confronted by the Lord and now he has been commissioned to do something different. You don't encounter this Jesus and walk away unchanged. He spent three days blind, had a three-day fast. Can you imagine being in the presence of those you hate Those you despise, can you imagine the disgust? Can you imagine the the fear or maybe the sorrow? Can you imagine sitting there and thinking, they know who I am. They could totally have their way with me. They could do to me all of the things that I have been doing to them. Let's read verses 10 through 16. Now there was a disciple at Damascus. We switched gears. We were looking at Saul. Now we're switching. We see someone else. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. That's a good example of how we should be. Here I am, Lord, verse 11. He says, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight And at the house of Judas, not that Judas, different Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who carry your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Jesus had a gospel conversation with Saul, and now Ananias is supposed to go have a gospel conversation with Saul. And Ananias has got to be worried about this, he expresses his worry to the Lord. I know this guy. His reputation precedes him. But God says, Ananias, you're to go to a straight street and find a crooked man. He came here to pray on my people and now he's praying for my people. He came here to imprison and shed blood, but I'm going to set him free and save him by the blood. So get up and go. And Ananias, despite his fears, went. But first, he had an objection Saul's reputation. I know who he is, I've heard what he's done. He hates you, he hates me, he hates your people. And he has, wait for it, authority. Ananias says to the Lord, Saul has authority. Now, this is rare in a sermon, but talk to me for a second. What authority does Saul have? Only what God has given him. Only what God has given him. <laughs> That's a good answer, Kristen. I, he ain't got no authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. His authority is a false authority, if anything. It's, it's a very small and constrained authority, if it's any authority at all. Saul doesn't have authority. He's purchased property. He has a particular purpose. To carry the name of Jesus. A.K.A. he's going to have a whole bunch of gospel conversations. That's what he's about to go do. So he says to Ananias, don't worry about his authority. I have the authority and and he's an instrument. He's a tool in my hand and, and he's going to do what I tell him to do. So Ananias gets up and goes. Saul was commissioned by the Lord His life had to move from an offense to an offering. You don't encounter this Jesus and walk away unchanged. Saul was set apart, he was chosen, he was commissioned. But before he could do anything for the Lord, he had to be converted. He had to be converted from slayer to saint, from bloodthirsty to blood bought. So he was converted by the Lord. Last couple of verses, 17. I only have on the screen 17 and 18. I'm gonna read part of 19. um, Just, you can follow along. Verses 17 through 19, here we go. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. I told you I was going to make you imagine. I want you to think about this. Think about Ananias as he's walking into the house where Saul is. He's walking into the house and here sits Saul. Murderer, persecutor, hater of everything the way. I don't know about you, I think I would have wanted to walk up and just get real close and say, you worthless, murderous monster. And now you're blind. But instead, I just imagine Ananias walks up and places a gentle hand on Saul's shoulder. And the first words Saul the murderer hears is brother. Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me that you might regain your sight and receive the Holy Spirit. In spite of his doubts, in spite of his fears, and Ananias obeyed. How kind! How familial! How comforting! Saul received his sight back. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says he was baptized. From foe to friend, when we baptize people, we we say slightly different things. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We all say that, but I say buried in Christ's likeness and raised to walk in newness of life. What we say might be different and the way Saul was baptized might have been different. They may have said different things. But the symbolism remains. Saul was buried in Christ's likeness and he was raised to walk in newness of life. What mercy is this? What joy? What shock? What scandal? What speculation must there have been? What grace? Can you even imagine the transition that Saul underwent? I doubt there's anyone in this room that has lived the treacherous, sinful life that Saul did prior to his conversion. But his story tells us something that no one's out of reach. It's hope that you and I can be forgiven, that you and I can be changed, that you and I can be converted. You are loved. You are created by God. And he has a plan for your life. But you have to be confronted by your own sin. You have to understand that in order to be commissioned to do something for the Lord, you have to be converted. You have to turn from your ways and repent and be baptized. This is the gospel. That Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. We could not live a sinless life. Jesus lived it for us, died the death that we deserve so that he can give us the life that we were meant to have. You're going to have an opportunity to respond to this gospel. I want to give you five things. We're going to put them on the screen in a second, but hold on one second. I'm going to give you five truths. They're going to be kind of quick. Five truths about conversion. And and I want you to listen to me. We don't, I have three lies. Uh, I kind of wrote those later and I didn't get them on a slide. So I'm going to give you five truths that you must understand about conversion. Let me give you three lies that we cannot believe. We cannot hold on to these lies about conversion. And then we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond to the gospel. For you to trust Jesus for the first time. For you to pray for those that that you want to go and have gospel conversations with. Whatever it is that the Lord wants to do, we're going to have an opportunity for that. Here's the five truths. Conversion is always by God's grace so that no one can boast. Saul would have boasted. He's smart. He's got it all together. I'm okay. I'm a good person. I'm doing the right thing. It's by God's grace. It's by God's grace that we are saved. Second one, conversion always involves a life-changing encounter with Christ. As I've said over and over, you can't encounter the Jesus of the Bible and walk away unchanged. It's not always an encounter this loud. Saul's encounter was blinding light, changed, big change. From, From murderer to missionary, that's a big change. It's not always this loud. I, can, I could take you to the spot in Conyers, Georgia. I, I, I promise you, I could take you to the house. We could walk behind the house and there's a creek that runs behind that house. I could show you where I sat when I first encountered Jesus. And I promise you, it wasn't a blinding light. I didn't hear audible voices. I just knew in my spirit that there is a God and that I needed to worship him. I was in fourth grade. Not every encounter is this loud, but it's always life-changing. Conversion, number three, conversion always means surrender to Christ. Saul thought he was in charge. We all think we're in charge, right? We're not. You're not. God is. It always involves surrender. Number four, conversion always involves receiving the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. You will receive the Holy Spirit when you've trusted Jesus. Number five, conversion always become, means becoming a new person. A new perp- person with a new purpose. To tell others, to share the gospel, to share your story. Here's the three lies. They're not on the screen. The three lies that we cannot believe. We have have to reject these. And and I wonder if some of you in here today might be holding on to some of these lies that it's just keeping you from trusting Jesus. First lie, sincerity saves. That's a lie. Sincerity does not save. It doesn't matter how serious you are. It doesn't matter how committed you are to whatever religious belief. It, It doesn't matter how committed you are. Saul was super committed I mean, he believed in what he was doing. Sincerity is not enough. The blood of Jesus is. Second lie, knowing the facts is enough. Saul knew a lot of facts. He was super smart. You can have all the head knowledge in the world, but it's a heart change that has to take place. Third lie, some sins or sinners are out of reach. I mean, this story tells us that there is none out of reach. There is not a person in here that has committed any sin, whether outward or inward, whether people know about it or or you keep it hidden. Jesus knows and he confronts you in your sin and he wants to commission you for a different life and he wants to convert you into a new creature today. There's no one out of reach. So lest we lose heart and think that he couldn't really save us, Or think that maybe he's prone to anger toward us for what we've done. Or or maybe that we've just gone too far and we've waited too long. This story proves otherwise. Lest we think the dearest person that we pray for, that we hope will trust Jesus one day, is hopeless case. We can't believe that. Because this story tells us something different. Because suddenly, unexpectedly, by the sovereign and overflowing grace of Jesus, conversion happens. Now, I'm going to pray, and uh, Mark's going to be over here. I'm going to be over here. We'll have some other uh, ministry staff kind of around. I want to I be real clear. You don't have to come talk to us. I don't save. Jesus does. You can sit right where you are and not get up, and you can say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need salvation. I need to turn from my ways, and I need to be converted. You can do that right there. Can I plead with you though? We would love to know. Conversion, salvation, the the Christian life is not meant to be walked by yourself. So so you can sit right there and you can trust Jesus and you can go home. And and if you die in your sleep tonight, the, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. The thief on the cross is an example of that. Jesus hung between two thieves and the thief on the cross said, surely this is the Lord. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, get down, get your life in order, go get baptized, learn a, gr- a great deal of uh, doctrinal theological things. No, you will be with me in paradise. I don't wanna scare you out. I'm just begging you, I'm pleading with you. We would love to know. We would love to walk with you. We would love to try to explain the, co- the commitment that you're making and, and more about what the gospel is. So we're gonna be down here and we'd love for you to come and talk to us and just tell us of that commitment that you're making. We promise not to, we're not gonna walk you up here on stage. We're not gonna embarrass you or anything like that. Others in this room, you might just need to repent of sin. Maybe you've trusted Jesus, but you just need to maybe come down here and pray. Maybe you wanna come down here and pray for gospel conversations that you wanna have or or that you've had. Maybe you wanna pray for a particular person. This is called the response time. Just as you can't encounter this Jesus and walk away unchanged, I just don't think you hear this gospel and just sit. So maybe you sing, maybe you pray, but whatever you do, respond to the Lord this morning. Let's pray. God, would you help us? Would you shake us out of our comfort zones? Would you confront us in our sin? Would you wrap us in your love and just let us know that we are set apart for a purpose, that we are commissioned by you, that you can make a difference with our lives. And God, not because of the music that we've sung or because of words that have been said, but because of your word that is the truth. Would you, by your spirit, work in this room among your people as we seek to surrender to you? We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.